That passage that we read from 1 John 3, verse 8, is footnoted in the Heidelberg Catechism in the Lord's Day, the Lord's Day that we'll look at this afternoon. That's Lord's Day 48. So I invite you to open up your, your books of praise. Page 561, our confession about the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. There in question 123, the Confessing Church asks, What is the second petition? And we answer, Your kingdom come. That is, so rule us by your word and spirit, that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil. Every power that raises itself against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. Let's sing after the sermon from hymn 63, the Lord's Prayer, as we have it set to rhyme in music, hymn 63, 1, 3, and 8. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you know what Hitler's Germany was often called? The Third Reich, das Dritte Reich. Now the next question is, do you know what the word Reich means? It's actually here in the second petition. It's the German word for kingdom. Hitler's Germany was called the Third Kingdom. Now Third Kingdom meant something in particular, it wasn't just that before there were two other German empires. The Third Reich said Hitler was supposed to be this wonderful kingdom, a golden age. The German people, the German culture supposedly will be the joy of the whole earth. It was supposed to be a great time of world peace and harmony. Hitler even claimed that it would be a millennial kingdom, that it would last a thousand years. There was a medieval writer who spoke about three ages. And he said the third age, the third kingdom, was to be a kingdom of the Holy Spirit, filled with the power of God. Hitler actually had no trouble borrowing, claiming all these thoughts for his own. Behind World War II then, there was a certain ideology, a crazy idea what the world should look like, of paradise. The German people, the Aryan race, supposedly was God's gift to the world, and now was their time, and their time to rule. Now, in that light, isn't it so wonderful? Isn't it a blessing to have something like here, the second petition of the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come. We pray to God. You see, we live in a world where it's not just a Hitler who wants to bring about some sort of twisted, farcical kingdom. All of human culture is an attempt to build some sort of kingdom for ourselves. We see it at the Tower of Babel. We still see that today. This is one of the things, too, at the heart of the environmental movement 
And therefore, one of its problems, too, from a Christian perspective. Of course, there's nothing wrong with reducing, reusing, and recycling. And Christians, in a way, we should sort of be leaders in the care of the world because we know it to be God's creation. But yet in our world, so much more is going on than this. The green movement has become the new religion. And it's a very convenient religion too. It's just the sort of religion that those who would deny God and deny the soul who believe only in material things, who want to put man at the center of things, would invent. It's somewhat intoxicating to be a climate crusader because you get to be involved with the salvation of a whole planet. It's also very convenient because you get to ignore the real evil here in your own heart. Well, here in the Lord's Prayer, we have a wonderful antidote to all of that. The Lord Jesus Christ in this daily prayer, give us your daily bread, He teaches us to pray then on a regular basis and to take our stand against the world around us, to refuse to be drawn in to its agenda, to all these secular, godless religions. Your kingdom come. Not our kingdom, not my kingdom, not the kingdom the world around me is busy with. Something different. Something far greater. I put the sermon then under this theme. Christ teaches us to pray for God's kingdom to come. And we'll look at that we pray this conscious of the rebellion of our sin, ourselves and the devil, and also the world. Now let's look just a bit more at this word kingdom. Hitler certainly used it, the Third Reich. But for the most part, people don't really use kingdom anymore unless maybe they're studying biology. Kingdom means that there is to be a king. It means that there is rule and there is authority and there's submission to that. It's not a democracy. It's not the rule of the people. It's the rule of the king. That's why in the catechism, we begin to explain it the way that we do. So rule us by thy word and spirit. Rule us. God's kingdom. There needs to be an acknowledgement of, of the king in this kingdom. There needs to be obedience to God. Today, people have their own ideas of a better world. And they go on all sorts of crusades to end this or that. We, we just mentioned the green movement. There's also something called the social gospel or, or liberation theology found in many so-called churches. The latest pope of the Roman Catholic Church seems hardly to be Roman Catholic in some ways. And that he too is one of its prophets. Well, this social gospel no longer really wants to talk about 
sin. Instead, it's all about helping the poor, lifting them up from their poverty, buying fairly traded coffee. Some of this perhaps isn't too bad. But yet here, we we need to look much deeper. We need to pray, recognizing there's a far greater evil in the world than simply poverty or imbalanced social structures. Your kingdom come. First of all, here, in my own heart, in my own rebellious heart, We need to acknowledge that our wills are the first things that need to be dealt with. The word kingdom here too in the Lord's Prayer. In a way, it has the nuance of of paradise. If you were to ask a Jew in the first century what they thought of paradise, the paradise that was to come, this is what they would say, kingdom, the kingdom of God. Well, here we are acknowledging if paradise is to come if the world is to be bettered this is where it needs to start our hearts need to more and more submit to the rule of god the world around us says we need to learn to you know we need to learn what human rights are all about or we need to learn to minimize our ecological footprint all of that is salvation in human terms and by human strength. We need to be much, we need much more than that. We need to be ruled by our Lord Jesus Christ, his word and spirit. And do you confess, admit that, and, and do you pray with that in mind? And so we need to pray like in this sort of vein. Lord, I am very stubborn. Please break that stubbornness. Help me to listen to your word. Help me to be one who who wants to quickly obey your word. Help me to even be in your word. To spend time in it. Study it. Reflect on it. Help me to stop serving you, but just in my own way where essentially I attempt to use you for my own purposes. Dethrone and destroy whatever gods I am tempted to erect in my heart. Dethrone my pride, my ego, my wisdom, my sinful desires. Help me to be jealous that you alone have my supreme allegiance. Change my very attitude. The catechism here. Well, it talks about that more and more we submit to you. You can see the catechism is trying to capture there an attitude where this is your joy, where more and more you bend your neck, you submit to whatever God tells you. Give me a teachable spirit, Lord. Your kingdom come. It means, Lord, remove all that is in me 
that opposes you. Help me to crucify myself. Whatever your word tells me to do. Sometimes where I find it very challenging. Perhaps that I need to give of my first fruits. Perhaps that I need to pursue a relationship only with another faithful, committed believer and Christian. Help me to listen. And not just squirm out of that. We also need to pray this for all believers. For the whole church. Is that your desire? Also for your brothers and sisters. For the church here at Owen Sound. Do you pray for a church that loves the Word of God? That hungers and thirsts for it? That loves to listen to it? And submit to it? Do you pray that parents would have the Word of God in their hearts and on their lips? Who are passionate then to teach and to instruct their children? Conscious too of the rebellion of their own children. Not just to themselves, but ultimately to God. Do you pray that there would be elders who are in the Word, who are good shepherds, because this is what they do. They bring the Word, and they feed, and they tend the sheep. Do you pray that there would be deacons who also Know the mysteries of the faith, the deep things of the faith, so that when they give aid to the body, they can also give aid to the soul. The Queen of Sheba said to Solomon in 1 Kings, How happy are your men, your officials, who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Well, that is what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We do have a king like Solomon, wise and discerning. May we be the people who then are around him, enjoying his wisdom, enriching their lives with it. Well, that takes us to our second point. We also are to pray conscious of the rebellion of the devil. So as believers then, we need to be critical, skeptical of the world around us and its promises. We need to recognize that as sinners, we're not going to get this right. What what the good life, what the happy life looks like. Sin is always going to be there, twisting things, fooling us. But we also need to be aware there is a devil. A devil who wants nothing but to destroy the works of God. A devil then who loves to also rage here against God's king and against God's kingdom. And so we also pray, destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against you. John tells us there in his first letter, the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works 
of the devil. Just read through your New Testament. Look at the Gospels. Look at the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. There you see what this kingdom is all about. That when the Jews so often thought the Savior needed to deal with the Romans, Christ deals with demons and devils among the very people of God. Can there be those exorcisms, casting out demons still today? Those things certainly can happen. But at any rate, in the New Testament, what you see, these miracles of Christ are a sign of what His kingdom is all about. That He's come to deal with things far worse than what the Jews and even the disciples thought He had to deal with. The kingdom of God then comes into a world distorted by sin. A world under the thumb of no one less than the, de- than the devil. The kingdom of God needs to come in power and judgment. Destroy the works of the devil. What are those works? Well, we might think of cults. False religion, false Christianity. In John 8, the Lord Jesus says of the Jews who will not accept him that they are of their father, the devil. Jews who had the Bible, who knew there was only one God, yet they are of their father, the devil. Wherever there is a denial, of the Lord Jesus Christ in His glory, in His uniqueness, in His grace. That is the devil's work. And we need to pray that it would be destroyed and that the Lord Jesus Christ would be held high as the only Savior, as the only one in this world who reveals and shows to us God. We can also here think of a life filled with sin. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul says, the kingdom of the devil is filled with the desires of the flesh. And he connects that too to the power of the devil. Our popular culture often associates the work of the devil with strange phenomenon, mysterious happenings, things like that. But then the very obvious is missed. The devil's first fascination is with godlessness and immorality and indulgence. Where is the strongest bastion of Satan and sin in the world? Is it in communism? Is it in capitalism? Is it in Hollywood? Well, we need to be more precise than that. It's in the hearts of people who cast off all restraint and who do what they want. 1 John 3, 8 tells us the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. There's also the work of the devil 
especially as he targets the church, the people of God. The Apostle Paul can talk about how he is afraid at times. That just as the tempter came and deceived Eve, he is afraid that the devil will come and, and tempt, lead away those whom he has just preached the gospel to. 2 Corinthians 11.3 He fears that they would be led away from their sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He also talks about the schemes of the devil. Where the devil attempts to divide the church and conquer it. 2 Corinthians 2.11 Destroy the works of the devil. And that's also in in our own midst. Where church members start forming their own little groups. Groups that build walls. Groups that maybe look down on others. Where pride festers and division grows. Where there's friction and hurts and believers cannot seem to get past those hurts. That is also of the devil. He loves to sow hatred and division. And we need to pray that it be torn down. Then there's also the devil's work to discredit the Word of God. In the same breath here in the Catechism, we say, destroy every conspiracy against your holy Word. This too has been the devil's agenda since the beginning. And he knows, often more than we do, how much hinges and rests on the Word of God. How did he destroy that first paradise, the original kingdom of God? Did God really say, you will not really die? The devil still today is up to the same old tricks. It's shocking the urban legends that are circulated these days, these days about, let's say, the Bible and its formation. Have you heard this? That supposedly Constantine, the Emperor Constantine, determined our New Testament? And that out of 80 or so Gospels, he was the one, he, he said, these four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I like them. They served his political purposes. So he said, these are going to be the Gospels of the church. That's a complete fabrication. I've heard, though, even people in Canadian Reformed churches ask me questions about Constantine, thinking there was truth to this. Or how about the idea, too, that our English Bibles are just a translation of a translation of a translation of a translation, and so on. And like the game of telephone, well, we have no no way of really being sure of what God originally said. That too is a complete lie. John Lennon is famous for saying, I believe what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha said was right. It's just the translations have got it wrong. There is a conspiracy against the Word of God. You may doubt whether man set foot on the moon. You may doubt whether the earth is round. But all of us need to agree here there is a conspiracy against the Word of God. The Word of God is targeted, 
put under such scrutiny. An evangelist to Muslims once told me, if the Quran, the holy book of Islam, was targeted the way the Bible was, well, you wouldn't want to know the reaction. We need to be prepared to answer all these mistruths and lies about the Word of God. But here too, we also need to pray. Pray. Destroy every conspiracy against your holy Word. Pray that the Word of God be respected and reverenced. Pray that the Word of God be treasured, first of all, among the people of God. For if it's not treasured in our midst, where will it be treasured? For the Word of God to be preached as the Word of God. With power. With humility. But also with conviction. That takes us to our third point. In this petition... We also have an eye on the future, the fullness. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. Mankind is always looking for a better world. The communists claim that it's within our power. We can build it here on this earth. The Western world is really not much different. We can build it with our insistence on democracy, with our technology, with our human rights. As Christians, we refuse to be taken in by all of this. Your kingdom come, O God. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all, everything to everyone. All the kingdoms of man miss this mark. And they are flawed at the core. Not just up at the top, not just in other ways. At the very core, they are flawed. Here we confess perfection, paradise, is only going to be found when, when man loves his God perfectly. Eternal life is only eternal life when it is lived with God. Where God is everything to everyone, where we submit to Him, where we are in harmony with Him. Where who He is, His glory, His will, is at the center of all things. Our joy and treasure. And this, to pray for this, is no mirage there's nothing vain about this here in the lord's prayer the lord jesus christ is teaching us what he has come to do what we can yearn for he's revealing himself he has come the king after god's own heart the great king of whom david and solomon were but a shadow who will bring the great kingdom of god the one who pours out his spirit. The spirit who brings that kingdom as he lives and dwells in us. What sort of things do we 
pray for. If I were to look at your prayers over the space of the week, I think that'd be an interesting thing. Or if you were to look at mine. Uh, We pray maybe for health and strength. We pray for a blessing in this area or that area of life. We pray for healing for someone the Lord would be with them. There's nothing wrong with praying all those sorts of things. But our prayer life needs to be richer and deeper. God's kingdom must come. That kingdom that smashes all the kingdoms of man, the kingdom of the devil. And every day again, we must yearn for it in hope, in prayer. Amen.